When your business gets to a critical point, one of those critical points might be what you're doing and how you're handling your marketing. And my guest today, Nathan Young, is a successful entrepreneur, uh, owner of a marketing agency. And he talks about a couple of interesting roles that a lot of real estate business owners will likely consider at some point. Well, one, one would certainly be some kind of marketing person, but uh, it's great because Nathan kind of gives some great examples of depending on where you are in your business and what you're trying to achieve requires a different type of marketing person. So I think you'll find that interesting. And then we also delve into the role of a chief revenue officer, which is a concept that a lot of people have not heard of. And, and Nathan gives some great explanation as to the importance and, and where that fits into uh, the structure of a company. So I think you're going to enjoy this episode and uh, enjoy. Welcome to the Personally Brandtastic podcast, where we help you build your personal brand and business so that people can find you easily, want to work with you, and can't wait to refer you. My name is Paul Kopkin, and every day I work with real estate investors, professionals, and business owners who want to stand out from the crowd and attract more of the right opportunities without feeling inauthentic or spending all day doing it. It's all about communicating how personally brandtastic you are. Because marketing is how to get their attention, but personal branding is why they choose you. Now, back to the show. Nathan, thanks for joining us today. I think marketing is such a wide topic, but uh, maybe if we can kind of start off with, maybe not so much why should people be marketing, but how do they go about marketing correctly? What are the kind of things that people should off the bat, if you said, here's the three things you really must think about when it comes to marketing, your real estate in business, your real estate business, how would, what would you answer to that? I think when it comes to, to marketing in the, in the real estate industry, depending on what part of the real estate industry you're in, there's, I think there's different facets. But the, the fundamental thing is that you want to lead or make it very easy for people to see the outcomes in whatever materials you have. So I'll give a great example of this. And you'll see this lots. The reason why staging is done is because staging is so incredibly important for someone to envision themselves in that space. And that's why typically you will always see higher rates or higher values, especially in properties that are marketed that are staged well. Now, there's obviously two types of staging. There's the virtual staging where someone will take a picture and simply virtual stage, which is fine. But then there's, of course, actually staging when you actually have an open house. And, you know, I think sometimes as us entrepreneurs, we love to cost cut. And that's great. And that's fine. But really, you have to look at this as an opportunity for you to create value. So when you're actually staging, rather than thinking about that as an expense to your business, think about that as actually an investment into the property. So think about your staging like you're upgrading the kitchen and what that ultimately means for the final price. Because I think you know often we, we forget that marketing isn't just this cost, but it is something that can generate value. So you know when you're buying that, you know, kind of two bedroom, one bath, and you know, you add that bath for $60,000, it increases the top line by $120,000. That's the same thing with marketing. So when you're spending that $5,000 for staging, no, that might increase the value of your sellable or your rental unit, you know, by 20 or 30%. So, so I think just always remembering that when you're spending money in marketing, you want to spend it in such a way where you're getting a user as close to the desired outcome as possible in their head. And by doing that, you're probably going to increase the value. And so I think that's one of the core things that I like to talk, talk about when it comes to marketing. Right. And, and I think you've raised a good point because typically, and, and from a, a sales point of view, for sure, but also from a rental perspective, 
if you present a more presentable, marketable property for rent, then the chances are you could A, charge more, but you're probably likely to attract a better type of tenant than if you've just thrown in secondhand furniture that's breaking or something like that, just to fill the room. And, and, and here's a secret sauce, and I'm not going to take credit for this. I'm going to say, okay. I, I, will, I will openly say that I'm stealing this from some TV show. I can't remember what it was, but I thought it was a brilliant idea. And I actually have people who do this here in Vancouver uh, when they do open houses. They bake cookies right. in the kitchen. <laughs> and every, and you, know, I, you know, I can't imagine if there's a single person listening today that you're honestly going to tell me when you walk into a house that's baking cookies that you find that an awful scent. <laughs> Right. right, But it's this amazing homey feel you get. And again, it's like getting that user closer to the fact that it's like, this is my home. This is how I could feel. Right. And that really gets, you know, people really enticed to think about like, hey, maybe I should really move forward with this decision because, because this is how I'm feeling. Right. And understanding that emotion does play a huge role in, in buyer's behavior. Right. Yeah. And, and not just in staging, but emotional decisions all the time, isn't it? Which is as marketers, what we're trying to achieve is instill that emotional reaction or. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's funny. I was saw a TV show just recently and there was a realtor on there and they had an apple pie. Same thing though. You know, the same idea, that smell of an apple pie, who doesn't love apple pie? So. Yeah. And funny enough, you know, I, I think some people don't see this as marketing, but it very much is. Right. Very much it. It's it's us being very purposeful in using the five senses to drive a particular feeling or emotion that again gets our buyers potentially to a close closer to their desired outcome, which is I want a new home. I want somewhere where I'm gonna feel safe and 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 I'm gonna love it. And I'm gonna I love waking up to it every day. Right. So take it a step back before we get people interested to actually turn up at the property. What are the kind of things that real estate people need to be thinking out from a marketing perspective to even raise awareness? I feel like when it comes to, you know, when it comes to properties in general, you really want to discuss why you're a better landlord, developer, whatever. And the reality is, is you also have to remember a majority of people can barely understand all the nuances of renting and the insurances and all of those things that come with just being in a space let alone building a home. So you have to understand that when it comes to differentiating, there is a lot of education. And what I would really recommend is a before and after state on comparisons. So when a developer talks about that you use the best materials, I can tell you for a fact, a majority of people who actually ultimately buy into your property don't know what that means, right? So, so when you say that, there's actually really no tangible benefit. For them, right? You go, we use the best materials. We source the best tiles. They have no idea what that means. You know, for example, if you use porcelain tile, but you don't show the edges, no one, you know, an average consumer, unless you bought really bad porcelain tile, I mean, like incredibly bad, where it's like digital and pixelated and you can see the pattern, there are going to be a lot of consumers who aren't actually going to know that's not actual stone. Right. Right. And so, so you, so explaining the differences and really being detailed. And I think in your marketing is really important to set yourself above and beyond um, other either landlords or, you know, property owners or developers, things like that, because you're forgetting that you know this, but the consumer right. doesn't. Right. Right. Because the consumer, as you know, 
are already struggling to buy properties. So they're not in the mindset of knowing all these nuanced details. And, 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 and the second thing is they just want to be comfortable that you know your stuff. So you need to explain it. You need to be an educator and a teacher. And I think that's one of the big things that I feel like a lot of real estate investors or developers forget is you are you. You are in the profession of building homes. When you say you know you use good materials, you know exactly what that means. But 99% of people who are buying homes for the first time don't. Right. Yeah, I do, I'm just thinking of the, you know, the classic real estate investor that flips a home and they spend a ton of money doing it up and then they just expect, isn't it great? You know, you, this is great. This looks fantastic. And yes, it does. But it, a little bit more explanation would just raise the person's, as you say, awareness and interest. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and what about things like social media, putting the face of you as the business owner or the investor on your marketing? What are the things that you'd recommend around that? I would recommend, you know, depending on what part of real estate business you are in, likely you are having videos or walkthroughs of your homes. And I think if you have the opportunity to be a part of those videos, I think that's really important. And there's a couple of reasons why you want to do that. Is one, you're already doing the video, so you might as well make use of that to create marketing materials for yourself. I like to call this piggybacking. So if you are doing something, piggyback some other materials while you're doing it. And the second thing is also when your real estate agents or anyone that's working for you are doing the walkthrough videos, being a part of a mini interview to talk about the property, I think is really important. And why you want to do that is because the other thing that, that I think most people want to see is that you're invested in what you've built, right? Mm -hmm. No one likes the idea that a developer or an investor has cookie cuttered 16 homes purely to make a profit, right? So they really want to see that you're invested in this and you're invested in these ways versus I'm just invested for profit. So I figured out that I could do these 16 cut cookie cutter homes and I produced them and I've slapped them on and now they've got, you know, occupancy permits and we're good to go, right? No one really likes to see that. So I think giving that confidence and showing that confidence that you've been invested into the project, I think is really important and gives a lot of buyers and the potential market a lot more comfort and confidence when they go into that decision. Yeah, and you, you make up a good point because, I mean, currently in the news, real estate investors are probably alongside I don't know, secondhand car sales at the moment. They're really not a profession that people like at the moment. Do you have some advice around that? Because that's, if there's a, almost like an, an immediate backlash, I notice on social media, somebody, a real estate investor will post something on social media and people are immediately in there with negative comments. Oh, well, you're profiting off people's need for housing. And it, it, it's such a, a hot topic and such a, a potential cesspool of trouble if you start reacting in the wrong way. So what would you suggest? So, so what I, I think it's, this is the nature of, I, I'm going to say politics and I say politics because I think when it comes to, so I'm not a developer, but I've worked in the development process. So I, I understand the public consultation process. And one of the things I think is just natural across any, every business is most consumers of a product don't actually appreciate process. They don't appreciate process for the same reason that I've said, you know what good materials are, but the consumer doesn't. They just don't know. They don't have the time. It's not the profession. So inherently, 
a lot of people don't understand what it takes to build a house. What are the requirements? What are the costs? What are the complexities involved? And so typically, I don't know if there is a solution for the regular consumer to really appreciate what some developers do, because I don't think they also understand the astronomical amount of risk that sometimes they take on uh, when they're buying a property at a premium in order to create potential supply that, again, is also profitable, right? Most developers are in this to make a profit. And so I think that the only way that some property owners can really position themselves in a way of trying to help demand or and supply both sides is being completely transparent. And I don't think any developer wants to do that, right? And the other thing that I'm going to say is a politically charged statement is, you know, being transparent on how much it just costs in fees to right. the city, right? right. And, uh, and, and really like walking through that, I think some people would be really surprised how much money goes to the city, which is also being then given to the consumer, right? So we're paying the city to build something and then we're passing on the fees that we're giving to the city to the consumer. If we took all that away and we decreased the bureaucracy it takes to build something by half the time, you could probably shave off $150 a square foot. Right. But again, consumers don't understand that. So, and developers are never going to do that because they never want to be on the wrong side of the city. So we're stuck in this situation where I, th- I feel like it's, it's an incredibly tough battle to win on trying to be seen as an amazing developer. You know, even the developers that are buying the SROs in Vancouver, you know, they're not seen as helping out. They're seen as taking profit. And, and you know, just recently there was a news article about some SROs, uh, I think, selling their, their, or leasing their units for $2,000 a month. Right. And these are SROs. These are really meant for low income housing. Right. $2,000 a month. So it is, it's hard. It's a hard battle. And I do think it really takes the city and the government to participate with the branding of a a landlord and developer to really get around that. That all being said, there are some amazing things that are coming to the market that are helping attainable ownership. You know, I'm a fractional CMO for something called Key, which is a rent to own platform. You know, we really assist renters in actually tr- gaining some equity and ownership in their property. So I think the combination of a landlord and some of these newer technology or financing structures, I think is a great way for some landlords to participate in branding themselves as a as a uh, developer or a landlord actually cares about housing and actually cares mm-hmm. about providing accessible housing, I think is a great way as well. So I would, you know, really suggest um, any developer or landlord to look into these platforms and actively promote that you are a part of these programs because you are making your properties more accessible and you're not cutting yourself short, I guess is what I'm trying to say. They, they, right. they enable you to do something that's a little bit different. Yeah, but there's a developer here close to me in Hamilton that's doing a really good job of that. That They really, uh, their whole messaging and the story they're telling about how they're helping accessible housing, low-income housing, and they really build great looking buildings as well. It's not impossible, but yeah, you're right. And so just changing tack a little, you're obviously a, a successful entrepreneur yourself. As a business owner who's thinking about scaling, is thinking about maybe, okay, I'm not going to be doing the marketing myself because A, I don't have the time or B, 
I'm not the best person to be doing it. What are the sort of things that a real estate investor or a realtor should first look at if they're thinking about bringing on either a fractional CMO or somebody as a marketing marketing person, be it full-time or be it a, a contract type role? So I, I think there's three things that you'll really want to focus on when you're hiring anyone when it comes to marketing. The first thing that I'll preface all this before these three points, right. it is incredibly hard to find great marketers. And the reason is because I don't fundamentally believe that there's actually these like institutions that pump out great marketers. You know, in accountants, you got the big four, the law firms, you got all the big law firms, you know, bankers, you have all the investment banks, you know, in, in every profession, there's a lot of these foundational institutions pump out great talent. When marketing, sure, we have some agencies, but they're few and far between, especially in Canada and even in the US. So, and then there's so many different types of marketers that you can get lost. So, so first thing I want to say is it's hard to find marketers in general, actually really know their stuff. Now, when it comes to hiring a marketing for, uh, marketing person for your organization, the first thing is you really need to ask yourself, what are you actually looking for? And are you ready to make the commitment to have someone else be accountable? Because the one thing I will say will lead to the failure of a, a marketing hire is you not allowing that individual to be accountable. So if you do hire a very capable marketer, but you hogtie them with design by committee and you want to approve everything, you're just going to see a marketer fail miserably because you'll prevent them from doing things that they need to do. And there's really no sense in doing that. You've hired them to be an expert. So that's the second thing. The third thing you, you really want to kind of focus on is you, you want to find someone who really has been in your industry. They're, I wouldn't say often, unless they're in an agency environment, are they really using problem-solving skills to a deep enough level where I think it's transferable. So in an agency, you know, we're going to be working with clients across so many different industries and the, the problem solving frameworks that come from all those industries will lead to very good outcomes um, through time and experience. But if you're hiring someone who's just been kind of a corporate employee at, at call it industry A and a corporate employee at industry B, I'm not going to say that they have that same problem solving skill sets because they've been pigeonholed. So you want to find someone who's either been at an agency and worked at a broad set of companies and really helped strategy. That's going to be really important. Or you're going to look for someone who's just looked worked in real estate period full stop. I would not recommend trying to think that a person who works successfully in two different industries, they're just going to work successfully in yours. You're better off with an agency person or you're better off with a person in real estate. And then now you can really get into the tactical details is, are you looking for someone who's creative or are you looking for someone who's going to drive inbound sales? Are you going to look for someone who's going to drive all the media buying? Those are all very different skill sets. So um, before you hire, I would recommend go talk to your friends or family, find someone who's an expert in marketing and just spend an hour with them so you can figure out really what you want before you make that hire. Um, because marketing is nebulous. It's so many different roles. You have you know demand generation, you have content writers, you have SEO, you have creative, you have strategy. You know, like you could really make a bad hire, especially if you don't do a little bit of groundwork. So don't rush into it. Spend an hour with someone that you know that you can trust. Yeah, that, that's great advice. I was listening to a podcast and the, the host was talking about they were in brand and marketing strategy and they have been for you know, 20, 30 years. And they said they used to sit on in senior board meetings and senior meetings inside companies and the ad agency people always used to be at the table. And he said he, he's been in board meetings for the last 10, 15 years, and he hasn't seen an ad agency person. So when you're talking about agencies, 
you're talking about marketing agencies, aren't you? Versus just a straight ad agency, which I don't know how many of those are left that are pure just ad agencies. But yeah, I feel like most of them have bridged into other things. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. So when you when you're looking at that that role that that marketing role, again, it's going to depend on what you're looking for that role to achieve as to what you can measure. Is that right? In terms of... Yeah, and I can, I, and because I'm lucky enough to be exposed to real estate enough, I can give a bunch of examples. Okay. So if you're a real estate, if you're a real estate broker and you're an agent and you're crushing it, you're probably looking for a coordinator. Why? Because basically when you get a listing, you want that person to deal with all the marketing things, aka you want that person to go get that vendor that you've always used to go take the pictures. You want to make sure that the post guy puts out the post has already done that. You want to SOP all of that standard operating procedure, all of that. And you want to give that to a coordinator. So you can focus on sales. Right. You can focus on relationship building. And every time you get a listing, it's just repeat and rinse. Repeat and rinse. Rinse and repeat. I don't know why I have right. that. <laughs> so, so, so essentially, you know, you can focus on all the good stuff that make a ton of value for yourself. And every time something comes in, you just give it to your marketing coordinator. So luckily a marketing coordinator, that's really a glorified term. Really what that means, it's a junior person who wants to be in marketing. And so all they're going to do is coordinate and work with marketing type activities. So that's what that person's going to do. Now, right. if you're a marketing person who has grown their team and you need more leads because you don't want to be a founder-led organization, you might want to work with a demand generator. A demand generator is going to be someone who's going to focus on what channels are working for you, what out-of-home ads are actually bringing in dollars for you. That person's going to be focused on looking at all your advertising and all your inbound and honing it in so that you know how much more you can spend to get profitable dollars back, right? So I'm spending $100 per lead. I'm closing 10 leads. That's $1,000. Okay, great. Let's continue scaling this until we've reached what we call the channel maximum or the channel cap, right? Where we've utilized that channel up to it. And that person's going to focus on leads. That's going to be probably a leader in your career when you want to transition away from being the only salesperson. For a developer, you know, when you're hiring internal marketing, really what you want is you want a marketing manager who can manage all your agency vendors. Because the reality is if you're a developer, your marketing, depending on how you've done it, is either A, going to be done in your, in, internally, which means you have a team. B, is going to be done with a creative agency for every one of your development projects. Or C, it's going to be done with a partner of your sales agency so that they kind of call themselves marketing and sales, but really they're a sales agency and they have marketing capabilities. They're not actually in marketing, they're, they're more sales. And what you want is essentially, you want a person who's gonna be accountable to manage that group and make sure that they're actually achieving the goals rather than you being on all these calls saying, how are we doing our ads? How are we doing analytics? How are we doing on brand? How is our broker launch? What day is our broker launch? You don't wanna deal with any. So you want a marketing manager to deal with that. And what that means is, they are a person that doesn't actually execute, but they're smart enough to know what the execution is and they know what those outcomes are. So I wanted to give kind of a broad range so people have some good ideas as to what they need to offer. That's, that's really helpful. I'm going to tell everybody to rewind and listen to that section again from Nathan and you can identify which one you are because whether you're a realtor or a real estate investor developer, there's, those are three really great examples of where, you know, figure out where you are and then take the action. And I, I've noticed you speak about a, a role that probably a lot of people listening don't know, CRO or chief revenue officer. 
Yes. So can you expand a little bit on that and tell people what that is? And I see this as also being, particularly for investors, almost a role that they might consider versus a, a straight marketing person. So I would say the CR role is fundamentally a role, I think it's being pushed a lot in, in sales. And funny enough, you actually see revenue officers also in hotels. So you'll typically see a CRO in a hotel because they're the ones that are supposed to be helping you maximize your revenue balance amongst wholesale, corporate, and bar rate, which is the rate which comes right through the door, so your highest rate possible. What I think is really important when it comes to um, a CRO in a real estate organization, especially when it comes to a developer, is your CRO almost works alongside your underwriting team because your CRO role is the individual who's going to help you identify the, you know, the highest and best use, the maximal value. Um, so they're going to be the ones that not only understand how much to spend on marketing to increase revenue, but they should also be the ones that are really giving you the details on, are we selling, are we going to be pushing for a zoning or entitlement that has a majority of one bedrooms, two bedrooms, three bedrooms, how much are they doing? And really having a pulse on the market um, and, and helping you optimize your revenues, right? Because that's the right. whole goal as a chief revenue officer. Um, I think the, the idea of a chief revenue officer is interesting because what it's trying to do is make an individual inside the organization fully accountable on optimizing revenue. I think that should be the right. term, right? So rather than like chief revenue officer, maybe what it should really be is chief accountable revenue optimizer. And really, their job, their day-to-day -day job is, let's focus on how can we optimize our revenue? So how can I increase my revenues, but also how can I maximize my dollars to increase those revenues? So revenue on a performer basis, revenue on an operational basis, and then maybe working with finance on a revenue on a cut expenses basis. And I think that's really what the role is. And that means they're playing on sales, marketing, and operations. And, and would you see that? Potentially also working for, say, a real estate investor who also sells coaching programs, uh, puts on events, maybe has product, online product that they're selling. Absolutely. Like a CRO would be the person who's helping you identify like, hey, and the product market would do this as well, but it's going to be like, hey, so you've got your in-person conferences, you've got your course online, you've got your podcast. I know that you spend X amount of time. So realistically, we need to invest in X because if we invest in X, you're going to make X amount more money with X amount of time, which is a bigger ratio than everything else. So the chief revenue officer should be the one looking at, okay, our team is doing all three of these things. We're making X dollar per department, per sales, product, revenue, whatever you want to break into. We need to be focusing on this. And the chief revenue officer should be accountable for that. The chief revenue officer should be going to the owner and founder to make the final decision saying, hey, we need to continue pushing more revenues in this sector um, because it's, it appears to bring the biggest return on investment for us. And, and my goal is to increase revenue. So that's what we should be doing. Um, so absolutely. I think if you have multiple product lines and depending on how mature the organization is, um, having someone who's a CRO would be fantastic. And, and you know, the CRO role, I think, is a much more senior role, meaning you know, I don't think a, a new organization needs this, but mm. I feel like when you do get the point of competing revenue streams, 
then I think a CRO certainly plays a point. Or you get to the point where your sales team is mature enough to have a CRO. I think that's also another point. Because otherwise, I guess you're running the risk that you could be running off in a direction, promoting a product that you, or maybe the owner loves promoting it, but it turns out it's the least profitable or it's the least. So does the chief revenue officer also focus on profit or is it purely kind of top line revenue, would you say? I would say it's purely top line, right? And I think it's going to be up to the executive team and, and also the, the president and the chair to focus on strategy, right? So I think the CRO will sometimes be at competing odds, right? Mm. Because there's a huge difference between revenue and profit and strategy and long-term strategy. So I think there will be times where the CRO will be at odds with the, the president and the chair. But of course, that's with any role, right? So I think it's just more about making sure that this goes into executive compensation, that your CRO and everyone else is aligned for long-term growth. And you don't just look at short-term initiatives because you know, often those don't really work out. Right. And let's touch on media buying and advertising for a second. What are you recommending? What are you seeing from, because again, we could probably talk a million different directions about it, but I, and I, get, I quite often have people say, you know, should I boost this post on Facebook as an example? And then I, somebody, I can't remember who said it a while back, said that's basically a Facebook donation button. It's not worth doing. But, you know, what should be, people be thinking about when it comes to media buying and advertising? Paul, Paul how many real estate brokers do you think listen to your show? I've, Thousands? I've, hundreds? I've, I, yeah. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Great. Because I'm so excited to tell all these people how stupid they are for one second. <laughs> and because this is the one thing I've gone with so many arguments with real estate brokers. Here, I'm going to say, guys, real estate brokers, you better listen. When you're doing out-of-home ads, when you're doing those bench ads, when you're doing those billboards, those bus stops, the, the back of the bus, all these ones that you've been buying for years, I'm going to tell you, no one cares about your phone number. They will call you when they have an immediate need. And why is this really important? Is because you are buying ads and you have no idea how effective they are because they're all calling the same number. <laughs> Use a platform like CallRail or AirCall or any of these platforms to dynamically put different phone numbers on different out-of-home ads so you can actually bloody track where you're getting leads from. Otherwise, you're just spending money blindly. I've had so many real estate brokers to go, oh, you know, that's going to be really confusing. Oh, you know, people are going to see a different number. No one cares about you, man. You're not a superstar. You're not actually that big as you think you are. Right. Not yet. And regardless of the fact is, no one's walking around and being like, oh, look at you look so-and-so. Oh, I'm going to remember that number to hearts that when I need him and when I go home and I need to buy a home, I'm just going to call the number from heart. No, they're going to see the ad when the neighbor need it. And they're going to be like, oh, crap, you know what? I haven't found that real estate broker. I'm just going to call this guy. And they're going to call it as soon as they look at it. That's what they're going to do. So stop thinking your phone number is that important. Your phone number is that important when you have a relationship with them. Then don't change your phone number. That makes sense. <laughs> Before that, your phone number doesn't matter. You know, you're not Domino's, you're not Pizza Hut, you're not taking, you're not doing, you're not taking five minute pizza orders every night. That's not how this business works. They're going to call you when they have a need. So, so for the love of God, please use a tracking software because it's going to cost you 59 to hundred dollars a month. And guess what? You're going to know what bus ad is driving, what bus stop is driving, what out of home billboard is driving rather than everyone calling the same number and your lovely little out of home ad 
account manager is just selling you the sweet stuff and just getting you to continue to buy. This way, at least you know. It's like the biggest tip that I give to anyone. You got to do it. Mm. The other tip is if you're doing any demand generation, just remember they're going to forget about you within 15 minutes. Just 15 minutes. <laughs> That's all it takes. Actually, in fact, it's probably less than five. I was so going to say, 15 sounds a lot. <laughs> 15 sounds a lot. If you're not calling a lead that has submitted a request or an inquiry into a property, they're forgetting about it really quick. And I see this in pre-construction sales all the time. Pre-construction sales are notorious for not calling their leads. And it's something that I promote quite heavily. You'll see conversion rates to a book, to an actual meeting at less than 1%. You'll see conversion rates for actual people who do calling up to 5 to 7% if they actually call their pre-con lead. That's a huge difference. It's a huge difference. It's a massive difference. It's a $6,000 cost per meeting down to 500 to 1,000. And yet no one wants to pick up phone calls. You know why? It's too old school. Right. They want the easy thing. That's they want the easy thing. Yeah, that's a really good, that is a really good point. So where, Nathan, where do you see marketing going? What, I mean, we've seen so many changes and we're seeing a huge change right now. I, I forget what the old comment was with, Google is, was producing X amount of content on the internet per year or something. But now with AI, we're just, that's just compounding hugely. For real estate specifically, and I'm going to say this publicly on record. Okay. Goodbye rendering agencies. You are screwed. Artificial intelligence will ruin your business model. And it'll be a matter of maybe two years. Rendering agencies are really good at what they do. And some of the best rendering agencies do an amazing job. The problem is that now you can have a very poor rendering and you can modify that without having any technical chops. And that is very scary because a lot of the times, you know, you have to pay an agency or a firm that does this and specializes this multiple a lot of fees for them to do great rendering now you can pay them a cheap fee because you're like i just kind of need the frame i need this but i don't really need anything else and you could go ahead and hire some tiktok gen z person put them in your office tell them to go use any of the new general ai tools perfect it and they will modify that image without even touching the renderer mm. so the rendering business is going to be disrupted Hands down, it's probably one of the biggest disruptions that happened in marketing for 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 risk. And anything else? Any final thoughts or recommendations? I would say the only other thing that I, I've talked about was I think AI will, and this is for real estate investors, AI will fundamentally change how fast it'll take for you to do massing studies. So, so I think the ability for you to assess potential development lots in at scale with a variety of different potential density plans is going to become something available probably again also in the next two years as people begin to make their models more specific to that need which means you don't have to pay your architect hundreds of thousands of dollars do a bunch of massing studies and of course you're stuck with the form form shape of that massing study so I think it just in terms of the development of AI and generative AI, there will be this way for you to actually assess land at scale with some re relatively accurate models, which I think is going to really change the way people look and assess land in real estate. And, 
And hopefully that going back to one of your earlier, very early comments around the cost of developing, wouldn't that be great in terms of you could look at infill land, for example, in a city and say, okay, that one, and here's three different scenarios for each one. And let's move. Yeah, imagine if you were able to put in all of the bylaw restrictions for setbacks plus shadow studies, and the model automatically generates a massing study based on known structural issues. So meaning like structural constraints and produces several different podium and tower assemble, like, a, you know, you know, I guess those and presents you with just these sets and you go, okay, I think B is the one that we're probably going. So let's refine B, you know, it, it would fundamentally change a, a, like the entire underwriting process for a lot of companies. Mm -hmm. And it'll likely change also how the city works with it. So right. I think that's going to be something big. I know that's not marketing related. That's very finance related, but it is, it is coming from the marketing side because I find like AI is very like marketing heavy right now. But I, you know, I think generative AI is going to get to the point where I think massing studies can be done iteratively and at a very cheap cost. Interesting. So a couple of questions I like to ask guests before we kind of wrap up and let people know where they can find you. Who is a favorite personal brand? And why? So actually one of my personal brands, he probably not very well known. His, his name's Ask Vin. You can find him on Instagram. He's just an amazing um, public speaker. And I find it, I think everything that he does is quite inspirational um, hmm. and, and lovely. So, so he's, he's one of my favorite personal brands, Ask Vin. Okay. I'm going to have to go check him out. All right. I have, what about a favorite business book or podcast? So I think my... Favorite business book to date has been Scaling Up. And the reason I like Scaling Up was because it was like almost an amalgamation of a bunch of books put into one. So it was kind of like this master book of how to scale up your business based on all of these great techniques from other books. And I really appreciate that because, albeit I do appreciate that some people have a great widget and they sell right. that widget and it's their widget. I love the fact that this was not only their own widget, but it was backed by a hundred bunch, a bunch of other amazing widgets that were also spoken about, and they referenced those widgets. So, mm -hmm. so I just found that a very great book to read, and I appreciated. I was trying to remember the author on that. Was that? I'm okay. bad at author names. I'll be honest. Okay, <laughs> I think I know which one it is because I think there's two. There's one that's a SaaS company focused one, but that's the one that people think it is. But I think it's the other one. It's the Wil Wilco. I can't remember. I'll, I'll we'll make sure it's in the show notes. And what about a new tool or resource that you're enjoying using right now? Oh, it is AI related. Yeah. But what it is really important is, so Google just released something called Vertex AI. And it's a bit of a spinoff of something called um, vectorization of a database for AI. So you can create a vector database. I'm not going to bore anyone on this. What this means is basically you can train your database. In fancy words, as because I'm a marketing person, I'm not going to talk about um, Vertex AI as Vertex AI. What I'm going to say, it's a smart search algorithm for random ass documents. So <laughs> you, you, you listeners, I can guarantee you're lazy. I can guarantee you've got a whole bunch of files. And sometimes it's incredibly difficult for you to actually sort through anything and actually get any meaningful data out. What's nice about this is now you can just throw it into this database and ask a question and they'll go figure it out for you. So say if wow. you've got this random legal agreement that you forgot about and you don't know where it is and it 
you know it's in your file of 3.2 terabytes worth of data, but you don't know where it is. You can now throw it into this thing and just be like, I think I have an agreement with so, and it has to do with this, and it has to do with that. Do you know where this is? And can you find an excerpt? And they'll do it for you. Wow. Cool. I definitely definitely need that. (laughs) And uh, a quote that either inspires you or motivates you. This one has stuck with me for a long time, which is there is no right or wrong way. There is only a better way. That's definitely a quote that I've appreciated. I've lived by for a lot of my life to recenter. And I think probably the more recent one that just to add on, because this is also fundamentally changed my life. I have a, I have a 19 month old daughter now. One of the things that I find has been the most centering thing of my life, because Paul, you know, we can all get caught up being a business person in our life and money and all these things is always going back to this idea of what do you want your daughter or son to remember you as and and i think that's just a such a sobering question because it takes away all this money stuff it just really talks about who you are as a person and and i think just that as a question who who do you want your kids to think of you as Mm. and how do you and how do you want to demonstrate and i use that a lot when i have tough decisions to make Ah, okay. That's an interesting perspective from that. Okay, I get it. I love it. So, Nathan, it's been great. How can people find out more about you? Where's the best place to to locate you? Sure, you can locate me at on LinkedIn at Nathan Young, spelled so Y-U-N-G. Probably Paul, you're gonna have that in your description. Also, if you're interested, you can follow me on Instagram, which is fya dot marketing bites with a Y. I am writing a book right now that's actually tying in consumer psychology, like actual research, all with fancy marketing tactics and tying them all together. So call it the layman's educational book. And I'm really excited. So I talk about consumer psychology and marketing psychology basically mm. on all my influencer platforms. What, when are you hoping that the book's coming out? So it's written. Right. Okay. 99,000 <laughs> words. Holy moly. And so I am in the middle of editing. And the editing is just taking a long time because it's, I feel like I'm getting a little perfectionist on it, but I am hoping to have it released this year and I won't be releasing it for an expensive price because I think my whole purpose is actually to have it there as an educational tool. And there's a lot of what I've talked about today about like, you know, staging and how important that is. And like a lot of things inside of, of my book, we'll talk about scientifically why this is so important. And really ties that in. So I really enjoy that because I think a lot of people think marketing is on a hocus pocus, but but realistically, some of the best practices are really based on some science, really some hard founded scientific research. Right. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever listened to Terry O'Reilly's podcast. I've not. Un- Under the influence. So he's a former ag guy, Canadian, and he always does this deep research. He, I think he said he spends thirty hours of research per 30 minute episode, which oh, is wow. a huge amount, but he has these stories, but where, you know, the things that we kind of take for granted right now, and a lot of it goes back to marketing, you know, classic marketing, classic ad agency or classic advertising and the way that it's now become part of our day-to-day life. And it's really fascinating. It really highly recommend it. You probably enjoy it, but uh, you've got editing to do. So you'll have to do it after that. So. Okay, great. We'll make sure all of that is in the show notes. And Nathan, thank you for today and have yourself a brandtastic day. Thanks, Paul.
Well, was that brandtastic? Did it give you some ideas and actions that you can take right now to build your business? So get to it. Thank you for listening and have a brandtastic day.